Welcome to the Metox podcast. I'm Fran Dargaville, a functional nutritionist. My home base is in Sydney, Australia, but you'll just as often find me following the sunshine and warmer weather around the world, and of course, hunting down all the best coffee shops while I'm at it. I'm here to share my take on nutrition and health, answer your questions, and chat with leading health and wellness experts and all-round inspiring humans. Enjoy this week's episode and submit your questions at frandargaville.com or via my Instagram, frandargaville. Hey guys, you are going to freaking love this episode. This week's guest is Dr. Nicole LaPera, who is trained in clinical psychology at Cornell University and the New School. Dr. Nicole is a holistic psychologist who founded the Mindful Healing Center in Philadelphia. Her work is all about the connection between the mind and body and incorporates nutrition, lifestyle, and psychological wellness practices. She recently expanded her work online, creating a platform for teaching her holistic approach to mental wellness to individuals and practitioners around the world. So if you've ever had struggles with anxiety, depression, or other mental health issues, or even if you just want to be the best version of yourself, this episode is for you. Let's dive in. Hey, Nicole, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So I've been following your Instagram for a while and you're dropping all sorts of truth bombs and sharing so much value on there. So it's been super amazing to watch. So thank you for that. Of course, I appreciate you following me and I really appreciate you helping me spread the word and the truth bombs if you will. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it needs to be shared, definitely. Mm-hmm. So could you share with us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today, you know, your, your story and your unique take on psychology. Yeah, absolutely. So I am one of those possibly stranger people that I've always known what I wanted to do. I've always been very fascinated by the mind. Um, so I was kind of always going on the path of psychology. Um, I ended up going into a PhD program, a very traditional clinical PhD program, Um, about the same time that I was in that program, I started to learn um, techniques such as mindfulness and things outside of the psychology program. And I was actually talking to someone earlier, I kind of joked, I said, I've always been on the outskirts of the the traditional way of working. So like I said, while I was training traditionally in terms of all things clinical psychology and of the way you think of psychology, I was doing my own kind of self-experimentation and incorporating some concepts that I was learning and picking up in my own journey. Um, so I very much had a mindfulness-based practice as I started to, you know, enter into the world of practicing and started to utilize those concepts in my life and in my practice. Um, and about a couple of years ago now, I had a pretty pretty scary health crisis. Um, that's at least what I call it. I had some creep crazy things happening to me. I was fainting. I was having all sorts of energy, brain fog issues. I literally, my mind went blank in the most, uh, a way I've never experienced. I think a lot of times I was in the middle of a session, I was having a conversation with a client that I was working with. And I think a lot of times, you know, our mind drifts off and we can kind of find our way back, but this just felt kind of structurally different. And it freaked me out to be honest. Um, So at that point, I started to really look into and dive into my own sort of research into what could be happening with me physically. Um, And I started to uncover this whole world that I had not known about, I had not been trained about, um, that was, I think, the evolving science at the time, really addressing um, nutrition and lifestyle and really the whole body piece 
of a mind-body approach. Um, so at that point, I started to heal myself. I made a lot of lifestyle changes. Um, I started to heal what for me was lifetime battle with anxiety, lifetime battles with panic attacks, um, and started to finally, um, for the first time, really feel fully better. Like I said, I was always kind of practicing self-awareness and mindfulness, and I got to a certain point that I was feeling okay, um, but I just knew that there was something missing. So at that point, I really shifted my work um, and started to incorporate the body into the work and you know, started to practice what I now term holistic psychology and really focusing on um, nutritional lifestyle and kind of all of the above that I think are hugely overlooked and not taught in my traditional program and from the practitioners that I've been connecting with online, not really being taught anywhere. Um, so really started to utilize that heavy in my own practice and my own work, and then obviously evolved to take the message online because I just think, again, like it's largely lacking and it's hugely important. Yeah. So that's kind of what got me to where I am. Wow. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So I'd love you to share a little bit more about the difference between traditional psychology and your holistic approach to psychology. Absolutely. So I think there's a couple differences. Um, I think it, one of them is foundational. Um, I think there's a lot or the, the traditional brand views disease or mental illness or diagnoses. Um, and I always kind of put my air quotes up because I have my own kind of belief set on, you know, how some of those things and labels can be hugely problematic. So, but I think that the, the traditional model views a very reductionistic um, uh, pathway to these issues, right? Meaning that there's a very direct correlation or connection to something that's problematic in terms of genetic or neurotransmitter. There's a thing that's wrong, usually in our brain, that results in what we're seeing in terms of symptomology and then what we're labeling in terms of these diagnostic labels, criteria, depressions, anxieties, et cetera. Um, so that's one of the big differences. So that's the traditional model. And then there's a lot, a lot, how do we treat it? And there's two ways we treat this in the traditional model, which is usually medication, right? We fix that genetic problem or we fix that, we increase that neurotransmitter, right? Your listeners might've heard of serotonins and dopamines, like those words being thrown out, right? We, we make, we increase those and then we feel better. So that's the one path to healing. And the other path to healing in the traditional model is talk therapy, right? Where we come in week after week and we talk through things. Um, there's different techniques and different ways we talk about it and different tools, but those are the two ways of healing. Again, body largely absent in that, right? So there's no talk about what do you do outside of here? What are you eating? Kind of what does your life look like? You come, you talk, you take your medicine, and then you get better. I mean, I'm obviously simplifying it, but that's kind of a way that I would kind of describe the traditional model. The model that I think that we need to evolve to, and I actually think that people are ready. I mean, the, one of the reasons why I think that my Instagram is going so quickly is that people are ready for the newer model. And so essentially the newer model says it's not so easy as that. It's not a one issue. It's not necessarily even genetic at all. It's not just increasing a neurotransmitter. Actually, the neurotransmitters don't originate in the brain even, right? So it's viewing the way I call it a more kind of holistic, a more kind of there's multiple moving pieces that we have to take into consideration. So with that, then the new model, treatment in the new model is looking at that big picture, which includes the body. 
which includes lifestyle, which includes the food we're eating, the behaviors we're doing, the sleep we're getting or not getting, which literally looks at all of it and looks at the deeper level of healing, what is driving these symptoms, and is looking at, like I said, in an interaction of things, as well as taking into consideration, I think, which is one of the hugest things that affects us, is our nutrition, our gut. It really highlights the fact that to a large extent, the food we're eating has a direct impact on our moods and on moods that could then turn into what we're labeling as these diagnoses. Mm, mm, that's so interesting. So, I mean, coming back to that talk therapy, because I mean, I, I actually haven't been to a psychologist before, so, um, but I have done a lot of personal development, which um, generally involves some sort of, you know, talking about and figuring out what has gone on in the past and then sort of casting a bit of a vision for the future and moving towards that. So I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about this sort of talk therapy and, and you know, at what point do you, um, you know, just start to, to look forward and create that vision rather than just talking about those issues and trauma and, and dwelling on all of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's a limit. I think there's kind of like a middle ground where I do acknowledge it's important to understand our past. It's important to have awareness, to understand why I'm stuck in the way that I'm stuck or what helped contribute to the way that I'm feeling. And I, I do believe that they come from an accumulation of our lived experience. So yes, there is an importance of having a think or a talk or whatever it might be, whether or not you need that other person or not, I think another person can sometimes be helpful because they can offer an objective perspective. Sometimes that's what our friends play for us or our partners or our family, right? They, they see things that we don't or we can't because we're living our experience, right? So sometimes it's very much helpful to have someone maybe guide us, direct us, point us, help us understand our path. But then there's a limit to that. And I loved how you said, even in the way you conceptualize your own self work that you've done, then I've looked toward the future. And I, sometimes that's the problem that keeps us all stuck. We focus so much more heavily on how we got the way we are or on our current experience, which likely is embodying these negative patterns that aren't working. And we don't actually look ahead. And I think a lot of times that's where therapy in a sense can take that turn from being something that was helpful and insight-based to something that's actually keeping us stuck. Thinking about it logically, if someone comes into an office and spends 50 minutes a week talking about what happened or how they're currently feeling in a way that's negative, when they're doing that, they're just literally lighting up in their minds, in their lived experience, in their physiology, more of that same. And I think that's where the shift needs to happen. At some point, we need to start envisioning a future that's different. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's really helpful. But I suppose the next thing is to, um, you know, once you've cast that vision and you're starting to look towards the future, then maybe the next step is sort of discovering the ability to be present. And that's something, you know, I'm working on. I see a lot of people working on as well. That can be quite a challenge. Absolutely. And I, I love that you said that. That is, that is so foundationally important 
because I mean, in presence, there's so much. I mean, first of all, it means that we are living our moments, which means that we're not in our heads, right? And in our heads and our thoughts, that's where the past is. That's where that old self is. All right. And that's also in the present is where choice is. So, you know, if, if anyone who follows me will hear me go on and on talking about the subconscious. Um, and I, you know, so essentially to quickly explain what the subconscious is, because as humans, we have so much that we do on any given day basis on every, any given day, really, we have a part of our brain that almost more or less automatizes it, right? So that it can free up the conscious part of our brain to think and be and be present and do all of those other great human things, which means that we literally, not to make us computers, but we almost kind of run computer programs through our day in a very mindless way. So it's kind of the great example, right? If I'm driving my car and I've arrived home and I'm alive, thankfully, but I don't remember the ride home, who drove the car, right? That subconscious drove the car. And I'm so happy you brought the word present because in that presence, right, when we're aware consciously, then we can make a new choice, which is outside of that habitual pattern. And those patterns, those negative programs, those, you know, narratives, as I call them in that subconscious, are oftentimes what keeps a lot of us stuck in that old person. Because if we're not paying attention, that's the program we're going to run. So when we practice presence, and you're right, it is 100% of practice. It's not easy. There's so much externally, internally that we're paying attention to and so much mindlessness that we really have to tune in consciously to what's happening so that we can start to make different choices so that we can literally be that, that future self that's different. Mm, mm, yeah, that's so, so helpful. So I'd love for you to share your take on nutrition. So um, I've seen plenty of what you eat over on Instagram. You're always sharing lots of, you know, helpful, helpful things mm -hmm. over there. So you could, could you talk a little bit about your approach to nutrition and what you eat on a day-to-day -day basis? Absolutely. So I actually came by, I think the way I eat now, which I would define as kind of ancestral eating, meaning kind of real food, right? If it's something that I can identify, if I know kind of how it grew or how it lived and it didn't come kind of from a factory or kind of through too many people's hands, right? That's kind of what real food, right? So vegetables, fruits, meats, things like that, like things that I can identify, label-free, if you will. Um, so that's how I currently eat, but I actually got here by way of vegetarianism. Um, I think that's part of one of the things that contributed to to my, um, to my physical issues that I was having. I think I was having some nutritional deficiencies um, through the way I was eating, um, which made me shift and start to incorporate meat back in my diet. So I, I say this because I know that there's a lot of, it's very kind of a dividing topic now to eat meat, not to eat meat. There's people that are staunchly for it. There's people that are staunchly against it for many different reasons. Um, but my own journey did take me back to it and did help me get um, a, a deeper level of wellness, um, getting those nutrients that I believe are, are only available to the extent that they are in meat. So that's the kind of the meat stick aside. Um, but I think overall, there's other things that a lot of us are eating on our standard diet that are hugely problematic for the gut. Um, quick things that come to mind, and I'm always the bearer of this bad news, but are like gluten's, sugar, um, processed oils. So when we look at uh, our, our, our food options. Um, unfortunately, those things are very, very rampant um, and they're present. And I was shocked when I started to realize how, how many things have sugar that I wouldn't think of sugar and, 
you know, I am Italian kind of ethnically. So I was raised on the pastas and the bread. So, you know, giving up this stuff was very difficult. But the reason why some of these things are hugely problematic is it goes back to the gut. And these things cause very direct damage to our gut lining. So the way our gut is structured is our lining of our gut, so where we digest our food, is so thin um, so that we can absorb all the nutrients and it can go to all the places in our body to fuel us and keep us you know, alive, essentially. Um, we also have a whole colony of bacteria that exists in our gut um, that metabolizes our food and that actually back to those neurotransmitters I was talking about earlier that help us to produce neurotransmitters and do all of these great things for us. However, because of our diets, uh, we have a lot of, we either have, we have a couple things going on. We either have an imbalance in that gut bacteria, which means that there's too much bad bacteria, if you will, and not enough good bacteria that causes some problems in terms of digesting our food or absorb or nutrient absorption absorption and or, you know, producing those neurotransmitters, which, which can then start to give us some of those cognitive emotional symptoms. But things like glutens and sugars also cause damage and inflammation in our gut wall. And that is hugely problematic because if we start to get what happens is we literally get little holes in our gut lining. And then over time, if those holes get big enough, toxins and things start to escape. And then they start to escape in our bodies and our immune systems are savvy enough that we start to then launch an immune response. But that, you know, obviously things are so imbalanced and we're having so much symptoms by that point that we might not even know that we're having, um, all originating, like I said, from this gut damage. We take that upstream even further. If this goes on for long enough, and this is the scary part, our brains have that same thin level of lining. So if these toxins are loose in our bodies for long enough, before we know it, that same damage in our gut walls could happen in our, around our brains, and then we could start to actually get some brain inflammation. And that a lot of times, not to scare people, but that's when we have the symptoms like the brain fog or the lethargy or the difficulty concentrating. Sometimes that's really coming from actual brain inflammation. So nutritionally, it, it really is about removing the things that are damaging our guts and then making sure that we're eating the most nutrient-dense foods possible. And like I said, this has translatables, everything from how our bodies physically look and feel, how our energy look and feels, how our sleep systems work, to literally how our emotional systems are. Mm-hmm. So... I know you mentioned there briefly about animal foods. Um, could you talk a little bit about their role in our mental health and, and health overall? Absolutely. So they're kind of, again, to simplify it, the reason why animal foods are hugely important, in my opinion, is that they have some nutrient um, qualities and quantities, right? Um, that while I know a lot of people, you know, so the thing with plants is, the, the amounts that are in plants, um, you know, are there and a lot of people, will, you know, kind of write back and say, oh, well, this has that and this has that. But the issue with plants is we actually need our human body needs to take an extra step to convert them into something that's usable for our human body. With animal foods, that's not the case. That is directly convertible to kind of explain it pretty simply. Um, 
So that is A. And B, all of our bodies, because in my belief, every body is different, you know, some of us convert that easier. And a great example is, you know, my partner was, was actually vegetarian for several years longer than myself. Um, and she fared a little bit better. She didn't have the extent of health crises that I had. She wasn't well, and she's much weller now, now that she's back on eating meat products or animal products, but she was able to tolerate it more. So again, I do believe that there may be some people out there that are not eating animal products are, you know, kind of okay or healthy or feeling fine. And, you know, to them, great, continue. Um, but I do think that there's some level of nutrients that just aren't as available to us. So from, from that extent to the fact that some animal foods, especially bone broth. So, you know, when you make a stock or a soup and you really just kind of cook those bones and you get those nutrients out, they are hugely healing to that gut lining. So oftentimes I will suggest when people are in the stages of healing their gut, that they really incorporate um, that, the bone broth and the animal products, because they can literally translate into repairing our, our damaged guts. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And this is something I've sort of struggled with as well, like, you know, coming across um, vegan or vegetarian clients and that sort of thing. And I've had my own sort of journey with that. And I completely understand all the ethics and that sort of thing as well. But when it comes to health, I think, um, especially having um, some of these kind of chronic conditions and, um, you know, mental health issues and that sort of thing as well. It's definitely important to just be open-minded. Maybe something that worked for you at some time isn't going to work for you in the future. And sometimes you just need to try different things and make a bit of a change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I will be the first one to personally admit, you know, I think a lot of the path is I, I, I went vegetarian for what I thought were health reasons. I obviously dove into all the documentaries. I became horrified. It became an ethical reason then too. Um, and for me, it was a little bit, I had to get past some internal conflict when I returned to eating meat. I will often though suggest, and this is the way I kind of procure my meat is I find I, I have a small local farm. I drive an hour and a half out into the, into farmland once a month and I stock up. So I do still feel very strongly against large farming because the, the health of the animal that we're eating is going to translate directly to the nutritional content of, of what we're eating and then to our health. Um, so I don't by any means suggest, you know, kind of the big factory farming operations. And I do know that there are a lot of sustainable small farms out there um, available to us. So that's the route I go. But I, I will be the first to admit I had my own conflict that, that I had to overcome. And then honestly, once I was open-minded to speak to your point, I completely agree. And I made the change. My health that I was regaining spoke beyond beyond any other I could not deny it I could not deny it. I could not go back mm, yeah yeah completely agree and with the quality as well that's so important to consider because especially if you've come from that um, paradigm or even even if not even if you're looking at some chronic conditions or experiencing chronic conditions or something like that um, um, or not or if you have a perfect bill of health, just considering the quality of where you get those um, animal fats and proteins from is so, so important. So I would love to have a bit of a chat about maybe some of the really common conditions that, that you probably see all the time, maybe depression, anxiety, things like that. And if someone's listening to this podcast and you know, maybe they're starting to make some changes in their life. What, what are the ways that they can approach this? And especially if they don't, maybe don't have access to someone like you, who's going to give them 
this sort of advice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, depressions, anxieties, I mean, those are probably the, the top two. Um, I think that means something different for each of us, but those I think are the top two. But to be perfectly honest, a lot of things that I work with too are, are traumas too. I, I, I've met, you know, very few people who you know, have come through my work that haven't had some version, whether it was of a chronic, you know, kind of trauma experience or kind of a more acute, the big kind of catastrophe. So I think those are the, the top major things that I, that I work with that I think do contribute to a less than optimal life on, on a daily basis. Um, and I, I say all that to also acknowledge that, especially with the depressions and the anxieties and to bring the nutritional piece back in a lot of times, or some of the time, I should say, what is what is what is producing those symptoms that we're calling depression that we're calling anxiety are are nutritionally based um you know b12 comes to mind i think a lot of times when we're low in some of these very integral nutrients we could be experiencing what we might label as a depression or anxiety that when we get our body in balance resolve itself um so that's that's one of the pieces of it so i think my my number one suggestion is is being really conscious about our diets is really being aware that there is a connection to between what we eat and our mood and our mental wellness. Um, and that there are some things, you know, whether or not we know the specifics of it, but some big glaring things that we can all work to either exclude from our diet completely or really, 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 really limit. Um, like I said, like the sugars, like the glutens, like the processed oils. And quite honestly, that might mean, you know, cooking our food more. That might mean, um, you know, kind of doing differently in terms of how we feed ourselves. The oils, and I bring that up in particular for them, because if we're someone who eats out a lot, those are the oils that are rampant in, in restaurants and things like that. So I think those are, those are huge kind of first steps that we can start to take for ourselves. So being really aware of the sugar in our life and limiting that, if not removing it completely, being really aware of the gluten in our life, again, limiting or removing that completely. And that if we can kind of developing a, a, a kind of at home cooking uh, habit or skill or something like that, I think that can be hugely helpful. If we know where our food is, is coming from and what it is, we can make way better choices in terms of what we're putting in our bodies. Yeah. And I've seen you talk a lot about um, well, self-healers, I suppose, and encouraging people to um, take control of their own health. Could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I'm a big, big, huge believer in every human's individual inherent ability to, to heal themselves. Um, and that might sound crazy, you know, kind of coming from me, a helping professional, but, you know, I think that we have, there are tools out there and there are choices, like I said, that we can make on a daily basis where every person is capable of making these small, consistent daily changes. You will hear me say that a million times. So it really is about consistency and shifting our lifestyles that can translate to, to mental wellness that we don't necessarily need another person for. Like I said, other people can be helpful, can be supportive to have a tribe. We can have that, you know, kind of objective observer point the things out to us that we don't see. But I think when it really comes down to it, we can all develop the skills and the tools to quite literally heal ourselves from, in my belief, pretty much everything. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, so I know you're really big on breath work as well. So would you be able to talk us through a little bit about how you incorporate that into your life and maybe what kind of breath work you do and the benefits and that kind of thing? 
Absolutely. Um, so I, it's funny. I was very much resistant to breath work when I first discovered it for some reason. I'm resistant to a lot of things. If you read my last <laughs> post, I, I kind of am self-admitted that I have a whole, I have a three-year-old that lives in my head. I will I readily admit that. And I talk about it often because I think a lot of us do, um, that I'm battling and I'm getting beyond kind of more or less on a daily basis. So for me, for some reason, I just didn't like the idea of breath work. However, um, so, so incredibly helpful for, for one major reason. So to sum up quickly, we have two nervous systems systems in our body. Um, some of your listeners might have heard of one. It is called, it's actually called the sympathetic nervous system, but we kind of always refer to it as fight or flight. Um, and then the other nervous system is called the parasympathetic nervous system, and that's the rest or digest one. The thing about them is they can't both, it's like pedal and gas or the gas and the brake in a car. They can't both be on at once. The problem is, is that because of our lifestyles, because of our external environments because of the choices that we're making, the food that we're eating, the way we're handling or not handling stress in particular. Most of us humans on this planet spend way too much time in our fight or flight nervous system, which is hugely problematic. It makes us emotionally reactive. It makes us behaviorally reactive. Um, and it sends pretty much as cortisol, which is a stress hormone through our bodies on a more or less daily basis. That is very problematic. It does not keep us in body balance. It does not allow us to achieve emotional balance. Breath work, there's several activities. Yoga is one, meditation is one. Breath work is one that activates directly that parasympathetic nervous system. So that's important. And I say for two reasons. The more consistently we, we have a breathwork practice in our lives on a daily basis, the more consistently we're starting to balance, right, that, that those nervous systems. Because every moment we're in the parasympathetic nervous system, that, that, that fight or flight system is turned off, which means our body can go into repair mode, quite literally, right, rest and digest. That's when we can get that gut healing. That's when we can get some calm. That's when we can go to sleep, right? So the more consistently we activate that, the more we just bring our body body into balance. But the way I also describe it is that's kind of a back pocket tool, especially when we're talking about anxiety, again, as a lifetime sufferer myself, especially when we're talking about panic, even when we're talking about trauma, which is a fight or flight response, the more we can manually activate that for us as we start to feel our anxiety creeping up, right? Or we start to feel that a panic attack coming on. That's the tool that we can use in those acute moments and give ourselves some empowerment, right? Teach ourselves that we have more control than we think. And I say that because I know how out of control anxiety and panic and trauma can make us feel. So that's hugely important for both of those reasons. So I do breathwork practice. I do it as part of my morning routine every morning. Um, I, as I will suggest with everything, small steps, right? So even if it's literally two deep breaths tomorrow morning, the thing to remember when we're doing breath work or a, a really easy trick for it is making sure that we're focusing on belly breathing or abdomen breathing, whatever we want to talk about. And I, whatever, however we want to call it. And I say that because most of us are chest breathers, right? So if you put a hand on your chest right now and on your belly and you just take a natural breath, more of us are going to feel it's our chest that is doing the breathing. When we are doing that belly breathing, that's when we're really activating that parasympathetic response. So again, it might mean literally two deep belly breaths and that's enough to start to activate that parasympathetic. Mm, that's super helpful. Thank you. So could you talk us through a typical day in the life of you, maybe how you incorporate <laughs> the nutrition and uh, breath work and that sort of thing? I mean, there's probably no typical day in the life of you, but... <laughs> Pretty, I'm pretty patterned, so it might okay. seem typical, but yeah, absolutely. 
So in addition to the breath work, one of my kicking and screaming additions that have really kickstarted my healing or has been a morning routine. I am not, I used to not be, or I used to not consider myself a morning person. Um, but I find that morning routines are really helpful for a lot of reasons, right? Setting that alarm clock, pulling yourself out of bed when your mind is saying not to. Again, a lot of the healing process is about getting past your mind. It's about tuning into that, that being, whatever you want to call it, right? Your inner being, the spirit, the soul. I mean, I think we all have different names for it, right? The thing that's behind those thoughts that's really running the show, even though we don't think it is all the time, um, Things like morning routines, you know, doing the things that we don't want to do that are not easy. I think that's, that's very empowering because that, you know, kind of, it, it, it gets us past our mind, to be honest. So I get up early. I usually get up around five o'clock. Um, I will get up. I will go right into a room that I kind of call my yoga meditation room. Um, I will write a, I have a journal. Um, so I do an intention setting practice each morning. So I'll sit there and I'll write one page in my journal about my intentions for that day. Um, I will use language such as I will, right? And I can tailor it to whatever I know my day to look like that particular day. Um, and this is where, to kind of bring it full circle and talk about something you and I referenced earlier, this is where I'm really focusing on that future self right? I'm so today I will, you know, whatever it is I'm working on, I will practice, I will be peaceful, right? Today I will be non-reactive when I feel an emotion. Um, today I will be present to the conversations that I'm having or the people that I'm engaging with, whatever it is. So I'll sit there and I'll write one page and I make myself write that one page of a journal, even though I try to talk myself out of it, that a paragraph is okay for today. Now one page where again, I'm envisioning how I will be that day. Um, that really sets me up to start to be that person that day because the next time I, or the moment I become triggered later, right, having intended to be different will allow me to tap into that consciousness, right, to say, okay, I'm not going to go back down that old path and be reactive. I'm going to do something different. So I'll journal my intentions for the day. Um, I will do my breath work. Um, I will do some stretching. Uh, I will do whatever movement I have planned for the day. So some days it involves the gym and weightlifting. Some days it involves um, sprints. Um, some days it involves just yoga. I will try to get some movement in. Um, I will go out. I will have my coffee. I will do my emails. That's when I kind of do my, you know, my more administrative stuff. Um, at some point I do have people scheduled in an office that I have in Philadelphia. So I walk to work. Um, I try to make it as mindful of a work as walk as possible, meaning I'm either, you know, listening to light music or binaural beats, you know, something in my ear, but I'm also focusing on walking and breathing. Um, I get to my office. I, I usually will have my first meal. So depending on what time I got to my office, I will have my first meal or somewhere after noon, after 12 p.m. Um, I practice what is called intermittent fasting, meaning I eat in an eight-hour window. So at some point, depending on what time my day started with clients, I will have eaten. Um, usually, like you said, you see me eating. I eat some version of a meat, some version of a vegetable, um, usually a higher fat content in my food. So I'll eat that around you know, noon or whatever it fits into my day. I'll see my clients. I'll be present as possible because I intended to. Um, and then usually my day will end, you know, sometimes around 7 p.m., sometimes around 8 p.m. Um, I'll walk home. I'll have my last meal of the day, my dinner, which again looks very similar to what my lunch looked like. Um, and then I'm pretty much done for the night. Then I just kind of, I do my wind down. I try not to do any busy work. You know, maybe I'll be responding to some people, but then there comes a time where my phone goes away. 
Um, and I, I, I do, you know, kind of wind down stuff I'm reading or I'm just kind of laying low and I'm usually in bed, honestly, between nine and 10. And then I'm in bed, I'm sleeping and I do it all over again the next day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love it. Um, cool. So what is your favorite health hack right now? My favorite, what was that? Health hack. Health hack. So something, oh. something cool that you've discovered yeah. or something you're trying or experimenting yeah. with. Interesting. Health hack. I don't know what my favorite health hack is now. Um, I've been playing around. I actually did a three day fast, um, a couple weeks ago. I documented it on Instagram. Um, so maybe that I would say that's it again. That's a great way to get past the mind. Um, it has a really great benefits for the body, um, in terms of cellularly. So like I said, I, I do a version of fasting each day, eating in that eight hour window. Um, but I guess my, I'm really looking into the benefits of doing a, a slightly longer one. So the last one I did was a three day one, a fast. Oh, that's awesome. So that was a uh, water fast. Were you just having water during that time? A water fast. Yep. Yeah. It was just, it was just water. And it was, so I started fasting pretty early on in my journey mm-hmm. and it was much more difficult in the beginning um, because my, I, my body as a lot of our bodies are used to was used to running on, on sugar um, on glucose. And I was a person who, I mean, I know some people out there might be thinking, Oh, you only eat twice a day. Um, I'm a person who used to eat six, seven, eight small meals. If I didn't have a a granola bar in my bag, someone might die to be honest. (laughs) Um, so part of that was my body literally shifting over to, to burning a different, I don't know how much of your listeners are aware of burning a different fuel source, burning, running on fat ketones. Um, so as I've kind of done more fast more recently, you know, as crazy as it sounds to only drink water for three days, it actually, your body becomes so adapted that it, it's, it's, it's not as difficult as it is initially. Mm. Yeah. I've been looking into that a lot. So were you working and everything was your, you know, sort of schedule much the same during that yep. time? Yep. I did it. I did it during, you know, during kind of my, my regular week. So I had the same schedule and I, I went into it with not really an intention of how long it would be. Um, I wanted it to be, you know, at least two days. Um, and then I just really listened to my body. So by the, you know, after that third day kind of hit, I started to feel like my body did want some, want something to eat. So then I just, you know, kind of mm. re-engaged eating, if you will. <laughs> yeah, cool. Oh, that's awesome. So what is the number one piece of wellness advice that you could give anyone who's listening right now? So maybe something that they can go and take action on today. Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, not outside of nutrition. Again, I don't know if it's necessarily where wellness advice or psychology, maybe the marriage marriage of the two. But it's back to that word that you used earlier. It's awareness. It's consciousness. It's being present because that's, like I said, where our power lies. Most of the reason that we're stuck is because, again, we're 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 not being as mindful as possible. So whether or not it's being present to what my hand is reaching for in that fridge, right, or being present to whether or not I really need that next drink that I'm going to order, right? Really making sure that we're choosing our choices, if you will, as opposed to just operating on autopilot. I think that has huge translatables for all things wellness. Definitely. Yeah. That's super powerful. So where is the best place for people to find you online? I'm, I'm suspecting Instagram is probably a pretty good place. Yes. Yes. Instagram is my major hub. I am there daily. You can come watch me do all of the things that I'm now nagging you guys to do. (laughs) 
Um, uh, it is at the.holistic.psychologist. Um, I do have a website where I have a blog at yourholisticpsychologist.com. But if you head over to my Instagram, um, there is a link um, on that website if you guys are interested anyone is interested I have an email list um, and I send out my blog posts weekly and I also send out kind of handy dandy PDFs as I develop them um, I just sent out a mind a mindfulness one a couple weeks ago so if you want to jump on that email list um, those things go out as 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 I release them but yeah the dot holistic dot psychologist at the Instagram is the best place to find me um, I try to be really engaged so I'm always responding to comments and messages so don't hesitate to, to reach out to me I'm a huge believer in the importance of the community there um, especially because a lot of us are going through our own healing processes and might not have that active support um, you know in our friend groups or in our families or with our partners whomever I think we just have such an amazing community over there. So anyone who's interested, jump on. And there's some pretty, pretty amazing supportive individuals that are walking the same path. Yes, I definitely agree. Definitely recommend anyone who's listening to this to go and follow along with Dr. Nicole, because she just gives so much valuable information and it's been really good to get that. Um, you know, I guess I've seen a lot of nutritionists um, and uh, integrative doctors and that sort of thing sharing this kind of information but to hear that perspective on psychology as well is just amazing and super beneficial and helpful so glad I'm so glad you say that I try to and I always try to take you know um, talk about the mind piece of things as well because that's so so hugely powerful mm, mm. and I mean linking that to nutrition as well because not a lot of people are necessarily aware of that so I just want to say thank you for coming on the show and also thank you so much for sharing everything that you share over on Instagram and um, your blogs and all of that you're really changing the game in a lot of ways I so appreciate you saying that and like I said a part of it I, I attribute kind of the success of the Instagram at this point to to people being ready to people like you to people who are ready for this message or sick and tired of being sick and tired they're sick and tired of medication they're sick and tired of things that aren't working so yes I am maybe the messenger and I, I plan on keeping the stream it keep screaming it because I really do think that on a very kind of structural level, there has to be a huge shift in, in mental wellness. And I aim to do my part in bringing that shift. But like I said, it's, it's just as much everyone that's railing around me because they're ready for it. And I have so many people that are sharing so many of their stories of healing that are just literally exploding my heart. You know, people out there that are taking this, that are now walking the path, that are starting to feel better. And that, that is what keeps me motivated and going and just knowing that this is, this is a shift that has to happen now and people are ready. Yeah. Such an important message. So thank you so much for your time and thanks for sharing all of this with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, Fran. I so appreciate it. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Metox podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to chat with me about how we can work together to create a plan to reach your personal health goals, head to frandargaville.com and schedule your free functional nutrition strategy session. If you want to connect with me day to day, Instagram is the place to be. Follow me via my handle at Fran Dargaville. And finally, please note that the materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not considered to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment.